Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of Broken English Podcast. My name is Mila Panic, and today uh, we have actually two guests instead of one. Um, I'm very happy they accepted the invitation, and um, now I will shortly read their biographies, and then we will dig into the topics. So my first guest is Roshanak Amini, and she's a visual artist currently living and working in Berlin. She was born in Iran and immigrated to Canada at the age of 13. And over the last five years, Amini has focused on how art can enter into, uh, into and impact the space of everyday life. Her belief in and commitment to the accessibility of art has inspired her to step outside of the gallery space and explore everyday spaces, whether digital or physical space in which art can exist. Participatory art, artistic intervention, public installation and performative research have been central to artistic practice. Roshana considers ma- making art as a way to respond to the world around her, to place some stones in the river in the hopes of slightly changing the curse of the river. And my second guest is Uroš Pajovic, and he's a researcher, art director and curator. Oh. He, per- <laughs> he perceives self-management and non-alignment as a paradigm. Parid- paradigmatic starting points for research around politics of space and international solidarity within the third world, aiming to connect them to contemporary principles and towards a hope for a global left. He loves signing signage in public space, Californian toponyms and odonyms, and crossing the street on red. By the way, uh, Urosh is also the one who designed the cover of Broken English Podcast. So <laughs> hurrah for that. I love his design. He's an amazing designer. Thank it's not you. here in biography. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much he's proud of it. And uh, also what is interesting that uh, Roshanak and Urosh, they also work together, together with uh, actually it's a collective made of three people. And the third person is uh, Mariam Kaladari Shvili? Shvili? Okay, good. And um, they have worked on many curatorial, curatorial, artistic and publishing projects. And um, actually they founded this collective called Center for Peripheries. And uh, maybe it's great to start from there uh, because um, last year, at the end of the last year, no? It was the event where they published... They, they did a release of their publication and also a small exhibition in Ekel. And this is where we also started to talk a lot about topic of um, dog whistle, uh, politics. And so maybe it's interesting to start from there to introduce the work of your collective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so basically we that was actually our uh, inaugural uh, exhibition. Uh, uh, which was encompassed with this publication, which included uh, our texts and as well as texts and images from uh, people who we have worked with and also just generally p- people whose, whose work we like. And I cannot exactly remember how uh, the collective was started. It was just like we wanted to do something together. It like everything just, else. Exactly, yes. <laughs> we, we, we have worked uh, not as a collective, but mm-hmm. as in this constellation of the three of us or pairs within the three on many different things and we kind of wanted to make that a thing and then uh, the name came from uh, a kind of casual conversation and then we got this idea of for each of the exhibitions having one format and one 
uh, more general general topic. And for this one, the format was sign, a si- mm-hmm. signs, a, a signage, and the topic was migration and movement uh, and leaving one uh, environment, cultural, social, linguistic, also, mm-hmm. and uh, going into another. Uh, and yes, one of the works was actually. I mean, I don't know. Did, did you want to add something else here? No. Yeah. So can I just go into the dog whistle? Yeah. Yeah. Because course. one of the works was um, uh, dealing with this: how the uh, how different languages uh, in space uh, in public space in Berlin, uh, and then also we through research found out that it's the case in different in other places as well. Mm-hmm. How. Uh, language uh, or uh, selective translating is used in order to send certain messages to only certain groups yes. of people. Um, and actually, the way that started was we were once in a supermarket near my house uh, in which, I don't know if it was Mariam and me or all of us. Mariam. Yeah. So the the um, everything in the supermarket was in Turkish and German, except when you come to the hard liquor section, where there's also also a separate cash register. So if you buy whiskey or vodka or whatever, mm-hmm. you have to buy, you have to pay immediately. And there it was uh, German, Turkish, with the addition of Polish and Russian. And we were like, oh, wait, because also Mariam understands Russian. And we both mm-hmm. noticed like suddenly Cyrillic, you know, here. Mm-hmm. And then th- that we started noticing it. And I even have like a, a, an album of photos throughout Berlin. Sasha also had yeah. one with, with the grilling in Serbo-Croatian and Greek and mm-hmm. Turkish only. So, um, yeah, we started noticing how usually warnings or, or the, the threat of punishment was because these were also, you know, it's uh, all the, the liquor section is uh, videos surveilled and you have to pay there and beware the cameras, basically. So, and it's always, you know, this kind of uh, warning or threat that is being used in these more um, uh, marginal languages, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then actually across the street from the gallery or the, this kiosk, public kiosk where we had the, the um, community kiosk where we had the exhibition, there was an ATM in which uh, there were two screens switching. And the first screen was, please insert your card. Uh, and it was, I don't know, German, Italian, French, maybe Swedish, English, and so on. And then the next one says, uh, if you try to break in, it is futile. The money will be painted with ink and th- therefore useless. And that one was Bulgarian, Russian, Polish. Oh, wow. And I think maybe Turkish, but I'm not sure. Maybe Turkish was even in both. And so this was, you know, then, that was actually very late in the development of the exhibition. We were like, no, we have, it's right here. It's across the street. We have to also do something because we've been collecting these signs and we wanted to use them in the publication only. And then we we're like, no, we need to also have a work. So that was the banner, the big banner yeah. in the back, which actually featured quotes from all these different signs, quotes of warnings and quotes of welcoming, welcoming in the Western languages and warnings in Southeastern. Uh, or goodbye. Or Canada. goodbye, exactly. <laughs> no, I really like the, because I remember even before this project that you developed for this exhibition, we talked about this and then I had this like flashbacks because even when I was studying, I had a friend from Georgia and he was telling me also how he was noticing um this like signs in supermarkets don't steal mm-hmm. suddenly in georgian language and he was like you know having very weird reaction you know recognizing your language outside of the context and you know so i think this is of course very much connected to stereotypes and like deeply mm-hmm. racist and like what also reminds me not just how it's used in public space but um for me what was always interesting for example when you leave a job and you know someone you can get this Zeugnisse how they call it in German which is by law should never be bad Mm -hmm. you know 
but there is a coded language that it's kind of just certain groups of people can recognize what what certain word or certain note should mm-hmm. mean and what how good certain person was or or not. So I think it go really inter inter intervene this like dog whistle in many different ways, not just in like public signs, yeah. where it's like everyday person will not maybe recognize it like among all the colors and letters, but like in in everyday life that it's like engraved in our behavior that we are not recognizing so for me it was very interesting to to see this project in this way yeah and i would also say it also informs behavior it's like uh, back and forth you know because it is based on based on certain stereotypes or based on certain um yeah stereotypes racism mm-hmm. full stop uh but then uh, when it's the when for many people it might be the only language that they understand in public space and then that's the only um, language the only message that gets through to them is a warning and the threat of punishment it's also you know if you go to a country where there is a signage only in a script where you don't which you don't understand uh you find yourself surrounded with just image and no language basically you are kind of in a completely different world than what you're used to and then if you're a person who doesn't speak maybe german uh there isn't english and so if you if you or or if you only speak your mother tongue as many people do also mm-hmm. who are working here who are living here then uh, it's it's a very very set tone which is the only tone that you get in the city where you live yeah. and that also informs um belonging it informs your behavior it informs your expectations and your also desire to be to 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 be there or to be a part of that that space mm-hmm. yeah I know it just like while I was reading today earlier about this topic and a bit online and it just uh reminded me or kind of triggered this thought of of another level of this another another side of this like where actually we have like languages that are you know pointed to a certain group of people in a certain way but then I rem- I you know I just started to think of this like political background how to use a certain language in you know we're actually using the language is is you know um it's a you know making a power over someone and but for example in bosnia where we essentially have one language but three ideologies about mm-hmm. the same language and these languages are also connected very much to creating identity mm-hmm. creating the nationalistic spirit maybe around it and like I don't want even to mention how much money goes on translating the documents mm-hmm. to the same language. You know, like it's it's like the whole economic side of this as well. Like so I, I assume that also in here it's something maybe you were thinking about it, I don't know, in your project. But um yeah, like how this connects maybe to this um because there is a lot of signs in in the projects that you are creating. And I remember I don't know now remember which one was but like for example these welcoming signs and like flashing things but also visual sign visual language mm-hmm. yeah i mean um oh. <laughs> yeah so we also had um one of the earlier pieces we we started the project with was an exit sign mm-hmm. um which is something actually nearly universal which was adapted a sign that was that was adapted by it's basically nearly universal not yeah. every country uses the exact same uh but nearly and um we kind of decided that we would use uh this very understood exit sign um as a as a way to talk about actually migration in a sense and to manipulate this image of uh, a stick figure so to say uh, which appears in this exit sign the green very known mm. exit sign 
as a um, as a basically as a way of looking at at immigration, whether it's uh, as refugees or as as yeah uh, movements between mm-hmm. one place to another. Um, so that's actually one of the early earliest um, pieces that we that started the project. And um, through this, de- redesigning this uh, stick figure in different, some some funny, some um, somewhat more, uh, let's say, cynical <laughs> positions um, of leaving, uh, so to say, for example, a safe space into a safe space from a, a dangerous space. Mm-hmm. Um, we fi- we kind of looked at the the this also sense of belonging and what it means to be um, on the other side of safety or. And yeah, that was uh, a way of using basically a, a sign that's generally understood by everyone. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very nice intro to maybe to switch to the like direction of belonging and recognition yeah. in terms of language. And uh, when you wrote the notes that you're also interested in this, I was um, like popping in my head, is it like in a sense of recognition in a in a diasporic way or in a like personal way how this came as a as a cross to your cross your interest well i think for each of us maybe individually it's also it, it's a very different relationship to to this idea of language and belo- belonging for me it was um very personal because i um moved as I, as you mentioned in the bio i moved to canada when i was 13 and mm-hmm. um I essentially moved without uh, speaking any English um, other than the very basic hello and uh, goodbye and how are you? And even though I was taking lessons actually in Iran, it does not help. And uh, you kind of enter into a space where you're stripped of your language. You're you're stripped of the mo- the the thing that makes you basically the one thing that um, defines you as a human. So to communicate through language. That you have, and you are stripped of that because you no longer can communicate with the language you were raised until, you know, at thirteen, which is quite a, yeah. um, so to say, conscious mm-hmm. being. And I think that, um, and I, 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 I think I realized that way later in my life that that period of time where I um, basically, essentially, had no language other than the one, the private one, but in the public space, I, I couldn't really communicate really impacted both of course me as a as a person but also my practice quite a lot um you are essentially made to conform because you are all you want when you are stripped of that um of your language is to be able to communicate hence you will do everything to be and speak the same way as the person you are trying to communicate with and i think that really essentially completely uh, is all you think about for a period of time. Everything else does not matter. You need to be able to reach this goal of communicating with your surrounding. And I think, um, yeah. So yeah I, I, I'm now thinking of something. I wish I had thought of it earlier when we were uh, discussing uh, coming here because I would have had the actual information. Now I'm going to butcher the facts a little bit. <laughs> but uh, but uh, there is a study that has been done um, in several European or countries in Europe, I don't know if it was EU or Europe, uh, and they had several parameters. Uh, what, what uh, when does someone belong to your 
nation or country? When does someone belong uh, to your country? When someone is like assimilated or integrated? No, when no, do they belong? I think that's ah, how the question was oh, phrased. a very abstract thing. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, maybe I'm now completely yeah. no, no, romanticizing it. You know, we can also find it later. But actually, the parameters were, you know, skin color, place of birth, passport, language, so on. And language was by far the the winner. So it was not the place of origin. It was not which state who they were. It was, I mean, by far, by uh, yeah. two or three, thir- tw- 20 or 30 percent, maybe. Language was the most important. I Also, I wonder, uh, you know, if they were asking people in those countries who were born in those countries who are actually the native speakers or, I mean, I wish again okay. like, that I had this information. But it was interesting, you know, that this ability to speak with someone is actually what was the most determining. And I think also we have experienced that, especially in German bureaucracy living here. Yeah. Um, Although I, I think also there are some uh, much ling- linguistically much, much heavier stories in some other countries in Europe than, than here. Here it's the bureaucracy that's actually the, the monster. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to say regarding the, the also recognition, mm-hmm. uh, for me it was uh, the memory that really is vivid with me was when I was, I was 19, I was in my second year of university and I was doing an exchange year in the States, in Missouri. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, Midwest, the middle of the Midwest, the very cl- close to the South, racially very tense. I mean, all of the states is, but, you know, you can kind of sense it. The, there is a black fraternity, which during Black History Month often gets really, really um, uh, intervention. I mean, I don't know how to say it, extremely racist attacks, mm-hmm. but also very, you know, sly in the sense of like cotton balls on their lawn or stuff like that oh. so it's not like you know it's very very uh it, oh, even though it is a, a student town which is votes democratic whatever that means in the states and which you know is considered more progressive than the rest of the state and then the thing i noticed is that uh, non-white americans but particularly african americans when they would hear me speak with an accent uh, would instantly switch their behavior from Uh, caution to interest Uh, and that was the same for another girl so it was me another girl from Serbia and another girl from Montenegro Mm -hmm. and uh, you know or when we would speak obviously in uh, Serbo-Croatian but uh, even when we would they would hear just this English with an accent there is a certain switch in the the approach the eagerness to speak with you the just the the i mean the the attitude that you get and i found that i mean i was also 19 so very you know naive about the state of of racial politics and the situation in the states the 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 racial relations and the racism and uh, you know as i started to the, the discover that this is a memory that really stuck with me and then when you when you said to me the first time broken English, it was the, mm-hmm. the the memory that really popped up. Also because I abandoned my accent, trying to not have an accent when I was in the states, not just because of that, or because people uh, in the states, because also in the first episode that I was listening yeah. to, you said you were afraid about you know going to New York, being in the yeah. in an English speaking country, what you're going to do with your accent. I think it's. If anything, it's like an, a little uh, a bonus that you get because uh, really living there and studying there, I kind of stopped. Uh, stopped trying to to have a, uh, like a clean um, ac- uh, accent. Ah, so you're not trying anymore. But you also did you like catch it through time? Because what happened to me, for example, yeah, you know, I'm from Bosnia, and you know, I have a Bosnian dialect. But whenever I go to Belgrade in two hours, I'm oh. speaking Belgrade accent. Okay. I'm already a lady, <laughs> you know. Oh, maybe yeah, but I'm tone deaf, so I don't <laughs> think I have that. Those those kinds okay. of no, yeah. 
No, I'm just like worried. Yeah, when, I mean worried, not worried. I'm actually curious more yeah. than worried. I'm wor- and like um, I know with some friends where you know maybe I was talking already on podcast. Third episode, I'm out of topics already. <laughs> no, it's like that. Um, even in in comedy, if anything, if I would do it in states, like my accent or dialect could be like or like lack of vocabulary can be just actually a plus because yeah. you know the simplicity of communication mm-hmm. and direct communication actually it's much easier with less words feels like sometimes you know but yeah that's great so from here yeah i actually wanted to uh demystify some facts from urosh biography because why when i was uh, reading it today um and he said that he loves signage in public space and uh californian toponyms and odonyms and actually i had no clue what that is and uh, you know after googling uh, yeah, toponyms are also terms from geography. Yeah, yeah it's place uh, names. yeah place names, but and also other names are uh, street, street names. names, streets and roads. And yeah. like you know, when I thought of it, like for me, street names and actually, especially here in Berlin, you know, and through all this Vogue culture and you know revisiting history and like trying to shift the timelines and narratives, and you you figure out that there is so much politics involved in these two terms so mm-hmm. maybe you can say a bit more about oh, it's, it uh, i mean i must admit that came from a completely uh, p- position of poetics not politics okay so i mean which totally I, I, even though i don't uh, i mean i wouldn't uh, as, this was my just, yeah yeah uh, <laughs> i wouldn't that's strong i wouldn't i don't separate the two necessarily but here it was really just uh, especially in the, in the uh, context of california or generally american cities which were obviously all very young and planned built it was just you know Sea Vista Drive, Oceanside, and uh, things like that. So it was not, it was not, I wasn't thinking. I mean, place naming is interesting to me. Also, there are very interesting projects being done out. Again, my memory is betraying me. I wish we knew we were going to discuss this. There is a very interesting project mapping different cities uh, for the number, um, the amount of streets and roads named after women uh, and as opposed to men or, I don't know, probably places. Um, Let so, me guess, more men, huh? Yeah, but it's also very interesting to see how the maps change across, uh, you know, geographical regions and also the sizes of cities. Um, mm. And yeah, but yeah, I no. But okay, just but tell me from your side of poetics, like yeah. what you also write, no? Yes. So yeah. how was this imp- like? Because so I it's like, a very big statement, you know, biography. Yes. So. Yeah, it's. Uh, I liked the. I like the. Uh, the. F- implied fakeness of it because it was you know the way these cities were built here's the street here's the street here's the street they're all parallel and then in the other direction mostly their numbers which is also a thing so that's why i also maybe picked up those kinds of names when i was there because mostly it's one two three blah 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 Mm -hmm. uh so uh and i like because often they lean onto nature as opposed to people so in in europe it's usually people or cities or something happening and so on there it's you know animals plants what you can see from that space from that and that is at the same time you know a testament to the length of american history but also even mm. though it's not a i mean it's a short one even though uh, yeah eventful um uh, <laughs> but then also you know the, it's a completely uh, even cities which are man-made in europe developed organically mostly in most of the world and then there it's mostly planned cities you know even as they develop they continue to be planned and this this weird hybrid of nature versus artificial and then plus they just sound nice in my ear 
Okay. Yeah. Sorry. That's it. <laughs> actually, something super funny about um, Tehran is that, or actually, I think it's Iran overall, but because I spend most more time in Tehran, I know that that this uh, street names changed uh, after the revolution. They changed a lot of the street names, of course, and even continuously. I don't know if they changed once and then changed it again, or then later they decided this street is not an okay name because it. It's the name of some, I don't know, monarch or whatever. Um, so they changed it and taxi drivers hate it. So every time I sit in a taxi, um, like if you use the old name, because I wasn't there, for example, for, I don't know, eight years and I didn't know that the name changed or my mom didn't know the name changed, you know, it, it creates a confusion. And then sometimes people also use the old names because they know everyone knows, you know, the street changed its name as a way of kind of, you know, um, it's for me, it's like an everyday form of resistance kind of saying like, no, like you know, that, this street, this, this street was yeah. that it's like, we're not changing, like, you know, and I think it, I really love this. Actually, I, 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 every time I almost every time I was in a taxi, some street situation, naming situation would happen where they're like telling me the story that, oh, you know, six months ago, they decided to change this like street name and no, no, no. And this creates confusion. I mean, I just also when I was reading about, you know, just like information pop in your in your head, like and I heard from a couple of or, or news or somewhere on Instagram, I don't know, something was popping up and, you know, like actually how these small acts, like small acts, actually they are very big acts and that in some country, I'm not sure which country, so I don't want to uh, just say the name without checking it. They changed the name where the Russian embassy is to free Ukraine. So oh, wow. so that the Russian embassy has an address uh, now, like of the street, free Ukraine. I mean, this is something that I uh, read. I didn't dig into the news, but I read and it was like, a you know, praise is a great protest. And of course, you know, it can be like used as a, as a way of claiming the space or claiming the statement. And, yeah, it's very I also like the one in Berlin, the Morenstrasse, yes. which is uh, when they put the umlaut, so it becomes Carrot Street in front instead of the M word street. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's a, that's a very good one also, yes. because it's also an easy one and very guerrilla. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is now the, the streets are changing names, as you said, like it's like every day it's a, it feels like a new street. I mean, in Berlin, I don't want even to start. There is like millions of the same streets around the city. So yeah. you can easily um, mistaken. But yes, like there is so many interesting topics that you hear put to to talk about it. And I'm like so hype about all of them. <laughs> But what I want to hear really a lot, I don't have much of knowledge of it. It's actually uh, poetics of everyday language in terms of protest chants, signage and pop culture. And especially like in the protest chants, I'm very interested. Like we have a lot of protests now going on everywhere. So <laughs> what was the interest there in this? Um, actually, this was a project I, I started, uh, I guess, in the, well, it started before that, but really it started in the sum uh, summer of 2021. And Urush is, is involved in, in it as a designer and also, yeah, um, the, as you call it, the image of the, uh, the, the identity. I visual identity of the project. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was to archive uh, protest slogans um, in Iran, specifically um, from 79, the uh, 1979 revolution until now. And, um, and create an archive as well as a some 
basically a poetry book of of uh, protest slogans, and this started because I noticed. I mean, it's it's easily noticeable this this part of it that uh, slogans obviously changed when it was you know during the seventy nine people were chanting for the revolution and they were from left from even the far left people want wanted the revolution and of course the results for many wasn't what um, they had expected and so you can start to see the, pro- the protest slogans change and go against you know uh, long live Khomeini to you know death to Khomeini I'm mm-hmm. going to be kind of screwed yes. with this too <laughs> uh, but nonetheless uh, and you could see it very evidently even in death to Shah and then now later saying come back I wish you could come back you know this nostalgic slogans to mm-hmm. the monarch times and I really actually found it very interesting in how it uh, showed the environment of the, the times. And of and there is, I think it, it is because Farsi, at least for me, is a language that's very poetic. And so are the most of these protest slogans. They have, they have a, not only, of course, do they rhyme, but they're, they also have a weight that's very beautiful to the ear. And I wanted to basically archive them in both looking at the the way politics of the everyday changed, because of course protests would be, you know, big protests about the the government, but also small about, you know, the teacher's salary or so the I don't know a pension. Mm-hmm. It can be even smaller uh, issues, and of course how poetic still finds its way into this protest language of of every day so this was this was the the goal or will be once it's out and finished the goal of this uh this project yeah but you also now working like so it's going to be like publication in a book both so it will of, yeah. be a publication yeah. it w- it's a publication a web actually it's a web- publication website and exhibition it's okay. it's a quite a big undertaking and the they each of them for me also have a different purpose. So the publication is really a poetry book. It's really looking at the the sound and also the mm-hmm. the rhythm exactly of the of these slogans. The the website is more of an archive of the politics and the change in politics and change in people's uh, reality, everyday mm-hmm. reality. Um, and the exhibition is actually somewhat a mixture of the two where I would create protest banners, basically, um, redesign protest banners. Or recreate or? Um, No, I would actually design protest banners based on different um, slogans that I will pick out Mm -hmm. of the the archive that will come up. Yeah, that sounds cool. But like, also, did we already mention, like the project that you did last year with Center of Peripheries was in the form of the newspapers? So, in a, in a di- like you know we said this but like why did you decide of this this for format of the, why was it the newspaper format yeah um well because we knew immediate when we started talking about having a publication uh well we started talking about having somewhere to collect our conversations with each other but then also you know we would like to we wanted to um, extend it beyond the three of us and in a way Invoke, uh, facilitate, not really because those were all done through emails, but you know, kind of 
try to imitate a conversation by asking people questions and also asking people to ask us questions. And then we decided to make this something which will happen with each of our exhibitions. So basically to make it a periodical thing where each um, each 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 um, exhibition will be uh, will be have one. Why was it a newspaper? Sorry, like I'm bugging now. I, mean, I don't I know mean, why. I mean, was... newspapers. Like, actually, it's not new. Newspapers is actually another term. Maybe I also said it right. It was just like it looked like a newspaper. It is. Yeah. It is yeah. a newspaper format. But I mean, it was. I think for the 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 biggest uh, association was as simple as it's going to be a periodical mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And also the everydayness, I guess, also. Because oh. I think this obsession or obsession, uh, yeah, obsession with the everyday and the very regular mm -hmm. things, which is also, you know, when you ask me about Californian toponyms and other names, it's also mm -hmm. that. It's regular. And also that's something that has been a common thread for the three of us before or, or our separate works before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's also, I think newspaper is also not something very precious. It's something you really... I mean, I think part of the reason why we wanted to do this newspaper was also to have an element of the exhibition be taken home, to be taken into your your space. And um, and I think newspaper is something that people interact with differently. You don't actually, you know, place it on a on the side in your bookshelf so that, yes. you know, occasionally you pull it out and, you know, look at the images. It was more that you could actually like it's yours. You could have it. You could, you know. It, it's not um, yeah. you could really interact yeah with I mean it is uh, as well you know everyday object that you and uh, I like uh, now when I think about it I like this especially also it's not precious object as you said it's something that you know I brought it home uh, I read through it I'm not gonna like keep it as a holy grail I think actually I clean my windows with it afterwards, <laughs> but doesn't matter. That's still like, you know, I like this, that I was not feeling so sad to, but you know, because also the topics that sort of were relating in the exhibition, they are not like elitistic problems. There are no. problems of everyday men that, and exposing these like puzzles that you don't see, you know, like I feel almost like some documentary. Oh, you missed something, you know? This is what you didn't notice in your public space. And this is here you can like read about it as well. And then you perceive how someone else perceives you. And so, yeah, I like this. That is actually it was in this um, newspaper everyday form, uh, but not quite because you could not buy it on the choir on the stand, I assume. Yeah. But it is a former kiosk where the exhibition happened. So that was a fun, also a little connection. Oh. Yeah, I love the window story, by the way. And that's amazing. That's So that's... tell the window. No, I mean, your, your ah, window my, cleaning. I, window. My window so, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, uh, it was definitely, it was definitely used. I mean, I used also Arts of the Working Class for cleaning yeah. windows. <laughs> Good <laughs> company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if someone is no, listening. No, I also like, that's yeah. it, you no, know? Like... to them. But also, it's uh, uh, what you said, you know, yes, th this is the kind of uh, topics, you know, um, of interest. They're not elitist, but also, you know, the format. It was an exchange office sign, the exit sign, mm -hmm. uh, an airport sign, and the ATM. And also, our next exhibition will be cans, like food labels. So, it's always also our formats will be within this, like, extracted from, every, from the everyday, quoted in some way, and then hacked in another. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, but also, so now I wanted, I'm just like reading through this. There's so many notes I made. And uh, so, yeah, like, I don't know who from two of you actually put this note about appropriation of language. 
And I don't know if you had in mind in a sense of like theft of the certain language or appropriating in a certain, in terms of theft or like, you know, there is like, for example, in American culture, there is a lot of appropriation of language through history, not just cultural appropriation, but I don't know in which terms you were using this in, in your work and like from which angle you came to it. Hmm. I think for me it's a um i i mean yes there's that it's definitely it can be bad uh the mm-hmm. you know appropriation of language for me i was more interested in the um re-appropriation, re-appropriation yeah of language exactly um uh I, how come i mean actually this idea of broken english i i love ac- uh, the way that other so people who you know, so to say, don't speak perfect English actually contribute to the changes that happens in the language itself. In English, one of the more spoken, Mm -hmm. I guess, widely spoken languages. So for me, I actually like that this infiltrates into the, you know, so to say, purity of this uh, language. And um, this for me is a reappropriation of the English language, for example. Um... Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, in the maybe with Andy in the first episode, uh, we were speaking about sort of like you know, I'm quoting now with my fingers by uh, dirtying the language itself. Yeah. You saw you somehow like reclaiming it, and you know I was mentioning as well like I like how much I'm exposed to the language that it's um, to English language that it's not perfect that it's not native that i forgot that there is a native uh, english-speaking yeah. country in europe like that's because... a way to decolonize <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> and I, re- I like this aspect you know to kind of and i assume i mean i like uh, you know these mixes of languages that in one sentence i can use three language because i have this power to do so and there will people who will understand this, you know, like dog whistle, who will understand this because exactly this is how language is alive. Mm-hmm. This is how, for example, how in my mother tongue, there is some, like now I'm learning that there is like Farsi word. It's the same, like dugme is the same word. I had no clue. <laughs> Turns from Turkish, but probably Turks took from Arabic. It's, you know, so yeah. who knows where it comes from, but this is how the language emerged. And who knows what's going to be in like thousand years or like a couple of centuries from now, what this language you know, I think as soon as the English became international, it actually lost control of its autonomy, mm-hmm. I feel. Cool. <laughs> I just had, I, I mean, one, one funny thing that I have yet to lose with uh, changing, you know, it, far, from Farsi to, to English, and then, of course, even worse to German, was that in Farsi we don't have genders in, in, yes. um, in yeah, objects or even people grammatical in, yeah in any way and uh, i still to this day make a he and she uh mistake in english which <laughs> so, so does mariam because georgian also doesn't have it so then i ke- keep oh getting God, lost so, limited. so the two of them are talking you know and can keep track who they're talking about because it's <laughs> going between he and she seven times in one sentence i noticed yeah. this i noticed this also from with friends from iran and i was like 
Is it so hard? <laughs> and then I figured out, okay, there is no gender. No, we are though. Like, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh my god, we are such a narrow-minded. But speaking of another uh, another important uh, thing to mention with reappropriation languages, for example, the word queer is a purely reappropriated word. You know, we now talk about queer movement, queer rights, queer spaces. That was an insult as soon as recent as I don't know. 40, 50, 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, also, the N-word for Black Americans, for African-American artists or rappers who use it in their songs, that is a reappropriated word. That was, yes. I mean, uh, the ra racist word of the worst order. Also, I'm sure I mean, I just we don't need to go through them. Connected to this, like a couple of nights ago, we had an amazing di dinner for Naruz. And uh, then I was speaking with friends um, about the word uh, Ausländer. That actually now you know there is no there doesn't exist anymore Ausländerbehörde. It's mm -hmm. they, they renamed it to Einwanderer. Yeah. Uh, Amt, uh, so you can now. Yeah. And also uh, a friend who is actually at the German class, she said that they all also changes on all documents. You know, like uh, when they're right, filling some documents, it's there is no. It's like okay. Okay, I see. So this is kind of banned word, so we can use it. Yeah, <laughs> I can use yeah. it, uh, and Germans can. Uh, uh, yeah. So like, let's uh, 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 let's, let's reclaim yeah. this word, you know. So yeah. it, it, I think it's just like reappearing again. All this interest, yeah, it's very interesting. Cool, cool. Where? Oh shit! I fixed something, so I can delete this. <laughs> is it a, is a PG thirteen? Is it like a, no bad language? No, no, I thought no, oh, no. Okay. I'm, I'm like all about the bad okay. language. Like, let's just I'm do a, a thirty seconds of swearing. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking you went to get one episode just about the swearing. Okay. No, actually, we were also uh, reading the poetry. Okay, this could be a nice intro to your interest in poetry, in poetry, and maybe your next project as well. We were also uh, reading the poetry from Hafiz. Hafiz, Hafiz from, yeah. Oh my God, this was like Shakespeare. Yeah. And then I had this amazing idea just to have one whole episode of reading Shakespeare without preparation to read this or Hafez. Oh my oh, God, wow. I was like, it would be insane. Because I also watched the, in, in cinema recently, um, the Macbeth, Macbeth, and I was like, Luckily, it was in English with English subtitles and I still couldn't follow up. <laughs> I never knew that English could be so eloquent and in a different level. Of course it can, but like the way we use it or we are exposed to it, it's a different way. So yeah, you were also mentioning like um, about your new project that it's also related to the poetics uh, Poetry and titles and naming things, no? Yeah, so it's actually we are we are the two of us as two independent entities are co-curating an exhibition now, which uh, we want, which will be shown in Belgrade, and then we want to bring it to Berlin and to Tehran, Tehran, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, we are currently in the process of translating uh, the artist statements and titling the chapters and everything. As wow. we speak, like we were doing that yesterday, today, and we will be doing it tomorrow. And uh, yeah, it's um, we were one of the artist statement is very poem form, poem in the mm -hmm. format of a poem, and it's actually written by a, an artist from Serbia, but in English. And then we were translating it, and Rashanak was, oh, it sounds so amazing in Farsi. It just flows. It's great. And I was like, this is the hardest translating job I have ever had. And it's written by a fucking Serbian person, you know? Um, so for me, it's also, you know, this uh, translation and poetry is 
I have, I, because I write poetry and I also uh, have this small collection of poems that I have translated of my own. And that is, uh, I mean, a completely different world translation or as, as the kind of work, in mm -hmm. the sense of the kind of work than prose or any other academic work, especially, and so on. And uh, I don't know, for example, reading uh, Polish poetry, which is my absolute favorite post-World War II Polish poetry, and then, you know, reading it in Serbo-Croatian and reading it in English, th there is such a gap between what I feel even though I would say my English and my Serbo, I mean, my English is not far worse than my Serbo Croatian. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, after this many years abroad, who also knows what the situation is there? But there is this sense, this, this, um, yeah, the sense, the atmosphere, which is the gist, I guess, of each poem, where which you cannot, or, or which it, it's very hard, or you cannot really get with an Anglo-Saxon language. But because the original is Polish, Slavic, and the translation is Serbo Croatian, it's it's there. It's, yeah. uh, I mean, very often because it's also post-World War II Polish poetry, it's very grave, it's very, you know, dark, but with these rays of, of hope and, op I mean, uh, uh, looking in towards a brighter future. And this kind of nuance of dark and melancholic with hopeful uh, uh, and bright is, um, yeah, it feels like, I, I would describe it visually as, you know, in Serbo-Croatian, it is as as edgy and as sharp as it is in Polish, whereas in English, in English it gets a little bit more wobbly and a little bit rounder and a little bit more even comfortable, which I don't think was the, mm. is the point of this kind so of poems. So you mean because of the lack of the actual, like, I, I cannot frame it as experience, but like, you know, overall mood that was missing out in this, like, I guess, and also not the just language, but the whole, like, what this language came from. Exactly, you know? exactly, because the language is not uh, in, in a vacuum, you know, it develops and changes. I with... mean, but also English, it's very young language. We don't speak about Arabic, you know, or Farsi. It's like the language, I mean, it's not like thousands of years old. So, and this is something that, you know, brings the heaviness. Yeah, but know? also, you know, Slavic language is developed in similar conditions up to a certain point. And I yeah. think that's shared there. And a lot of the words, even though some of them are, are false friends, but a lot of the words are similar. And I think that's the that, that's the power really of language, especially in poetry, because that was, you know, that's what I was thinking, poetry, mm -hmm. translating poetry and translating poetry from one language group to another. I can only, like all, all kudos to yeah. people who do that as, as a, really as their work, because that, uh, the, the, it's really striking. It's the, like, the, uh, I feel, uh, you know, we are not giving as much credits to translators yeah. as we should, because as you said, uh, first you need to have both of the languages in your pocket and not just languages as such, but, you know, experiences from, let's say, both places where this language is spoken so that you get the mood and so on. And I completely understand that, like, poetry or even, you know, it's like another level. It's like art for itself, you know? Yeah. To, like, I mean, they're they're writing a new poem in yeah, a way, you know. Exactly. It's a it's a third poem that emerges yeah. somehow, yeah. and uh, I think that's also why when you read the biographies of many poets in uh, the second half, especially of the twentieth century, many of them were the ones who were also translating foreign poets into their native language. So you know, it's it's kind mm. of staying within the poets who are also translating because it really is you really are writing a poem anew. Mm -hmm. But this now project that you're gonna present in Belgrade and Tehran, are you pre you're presenting also in Berlin? Yeah, we are currently on the lookout for a space. Mm -hmm. 
and hopefully funding. German stuff or yeah. oh yeah, okay. <laughs> All directions. All directions, baby. Okay, okay, yeah. that's great. Yeah. And this is supposed to happen this year. So the Belgrade is uh, the Belgrade iteration is uh, from the 14th of April to the 19th of May. Oh, so soon. Okay. Yeah, it's, so this we is we are uh... panicking. Yes. Okay, <laughs> we are at that stage. Oh. No, no, it's fine. Sorry. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, it's, I guess, it's, it's, since you said this will be on the 12th of April, it's in two days. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and then Ber Tehran, I'm thinking, will probably be next year, and Berlin, mm -hmm. hopefully, towards the end of this year. Okay, that's great, then. Yeah. Good to hear that. So, I don't know if you would like to add something else. I mean, I had so much fun, and I'm just looking for notes if we miss some topic that would maybe be interesting, like... But, yeah, the only thing we didn't address... Ah, yeah, maybe it's interesting before we finish etymologies and how meanings change through time and space. Or did we speak already? No. Like how certain words or like language or terms are changing. I don't know. Did you have any? I think we kind of addressed it, touched it with other stuff. Do yeah, you I also feel like... I mean, I feel so bad. I had so many examples in my head. Was... And at the moment we sat on this couch, my head went super yeah, blank. Fine. Like for all the topics, I had like... I mean, this is not. This is off off the record. No, no, it's nothing. Is off the record. No, <laughs> this no, is off the record. She's increasing the volume there enough. No, yeah. yeah. No, it's totally fine. I mean, yeah. like, uh, there is so many interesting things, and I'm also trying to kind of uh, summarize certain things that it's connected mm. and specifically good for you to speak about because, like. Um, I, you know, once we start to speak of one thing, it easily can switch yeah. to another direction yeah. and we cover completely other topic. And I kind of want to keep it like separate yeah. episodes. And of course, I like that actually one episode is merging with another or like coming together, which is great. And also in the second episode, we spoke a lot about translation and uh, proofreading, which is amazing to kind of then connect to this episode. And yeah, if you would like to add something to it, I mean, I think the etymology was more with the upcoming exhibition of uh, center for peripheries, at least, and the way I was uh, I was thinking of it. Where if it's okay. So there is also upcoming exhibition. Yes, that's in June. Yes, it's in June. <laughs> well, that's uh, also soon. Like yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, so yeah. we can. We're also something. panicking about that, <laughs> but not but yet. But there is a, where we can find all this amazing information about on our website. Oh, we are so bad at doing like yes. Instagram and website. I don't. Yeah. It will um, be. But what's the website? Centerforperipheries.com. Okay, center for peripheries. But there's no information. We're we going to put information before you air this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. No, that's totally fine. So cool, cool. Um, okay, I'm going to also write all this information on the on the in the description of the podcast so you can find it. And I'm so happy that you were here. Thank today. you so much. This and was very fun. It went fast. Yeah, this was like 50 minutes already. Wow. You know? Yeah. And so great that you were here. I'm so happy that you also like work together. And uh, thank you for amazing design, by the way. Uh, you're very welcome. Like, glad we got already um, feedback um, for oh, the design. Amazing. Good feedback. You Go, mean. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> Good feedback. <laughs> and I really love it. And thank you so much for this. And uh, yeah. Hope you will enjoy the episode. And uh, yeah, if anyone has any kind of feedback, as I said, you can write to my email address, uh, podcast underline broken English uh, at gmail.com or Instagram page uh, broken English underline podcast. I think I said it right. Um, so, yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you. <laughs> thank you.